This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for May 17th, 2019. In this week's episode, a WhatsApp vulnerability is exposed, a Windows XP patch is issued, and a new Apple security update is available to fix zombie load. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Last week, I opened the show trying to make a joke saying that we weren't going to talk about Facebook problems. And... Here we go another week, and we aren't going to talk about Facebook, except we're going to talk about WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook. Now, unless you've been in a cave for the past few days, there's been a serious WhatsApp vulnerability. Um, it's bad enough that someone can just call you without you even answering a call on WhatsApp and install malware. Now, I don't use WhatsApp. I don't know anyone who uses WhatsApp. I'm not a big messaging user. I use Apple Messages. And so I was curious about this. And I went to the WhatsApp website. I figured, wow, WhatsApp, they're going to tell me on their website what the problem is. And, well, I'm on the main page. It says simple, secure, reliable messaging. And I don't see anything else. And there's a security tab on the top. Ah, there's going to be something about the vulnerability there. Yeah. Privacy and security is in our DNA, security by default. And then I scroll to the bottom. Blog, well, blog, that's going to have the news. Nope. Talking about bringing the WhatsApp business app to iPhone. This vulnerability is so serious that it made the news here as one of the lead stories. Everyone on the BBC and, and Sky News saying, make sure you update your WhatsApp because you can get owned. Is it serious? Is, is WhatsApp pretending this didn't happen? What's going on? Well, yeah, this is a really serious vulnerability because, as you mentioned, this is something where an attacker who knows how to exploit this vulnerability, all they need is your phone number. And if you've got WhatsApp installed... Um, then uh, they can actually install malware on your device, um, which sounds insane, but <laughs> that's evidently what um, has has happened in some in some very specific targeted attacks. Yeah, these seem to be targeted at at people in non governmental organizations and aid organizations, things like that. Journalists, the, this the. The people being targeted aren't you and me, which has been leading people to think that this is a nation-state attack. Um, there was one particular group, I think, that had brought some sort of a – had started an investigation against this Israeli hacker group, and they think they got targeted. What do you know about that? Well, there, there's there's a lot of speculation about it. I, I think that at, at this point, you know, the NSO group was was named as as a company that was probably involved here. You know, um, I, I guess the most important thing to to think about all of this is is just um, it, it's important for people to be aware that just because you're using iOS, you know, which is generally perceived to be a very safe platform, just the, the same as macOS, right? People generally think Apple really makes secure stuff, but it's really not so much that Apple makes secure stuff is that. Uh, it's more that they're not as often exploited, maybe, as Windows. There's not as much malware. Uh, in fact, um, there's been almost no malware in the history of iOS. There's been a handful of little things here and there, but um, it's not 
in anywhere near as significant of a problem as it is on any other platform. iOS has been very, very safe by comparison. Right, but this isn't affecting iOS. This is affecting a third-party app. R- well, true, yeah. It's it's actually a vulnerability in WhatsApp, but that vulnerability in an app that you could have installed on your device could allow people to install malware on your device. But I thought that I thought that the sandboxing that was used on iOS and on macOS as well would prevent this sort of installation. Well, yeah, you would think that it would. Um, and the problem is, though, that when it comes to vulnerabilities, a lot of times these vulnerabilities can work around those kind of mitigations. So you might have a privilege escalation vulnerability that can be used to sort of break you out of the sandbox, break you out of that user context, and now put you at a deeper uh, level in the system where you have more access than you should. And that's the kind of thing that this vulnerability would would mean, is that you're actually breaking out of that user context in order to be able to install apps, which is not something that you can do normally from an app on iOS. So privilege escalation is like the app is in there as belonging to the user, you or me, but not belonging to the root user who has rights to move files, install files, delete files anywhere on the device. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. So so this type of vulnerability goes beyond the things that a normal app can and should be able to do. And um, it, it exploits something that makes it, that allows it to behave as root, you know, as having a full, you know, administrator privileges over your device. But that sounds like it's an OS vulnerability as well. Yeah, that well, that yeah, that is sort of puzzling uh, <laughs> to think about it from from that perspective. That kind of sounds like there may be something on the OS level. Um, I don't know. All, all we really know, and and we do know that WhatsApp for Android and iOS have both been updated to to uh, to address this issue. But yeah, that actually that is a good point. That kind of makes me wonder if there might be underlying uh, issues with iOS as well. Well, uh, later on the show, we're going to talk about um, a vulnerability with Intel processors. Would it be the same sort of thing? This is pure speculation that if these devices are using the same type of processor, that this someone has found a vulnerability that allows them to get in through WhatsApp, but to go further in the OS because there's some sort of a weakness someplace. Hmm. Well, I like your pun, by the way, pure speculation, because, of course, we're going to be talking about speculative execution vulnerabilities. (laughs) Well, this was planned, obviously. (laughs) Pure coincidence, pure coincidence. Um, I just want to get some terminology here. Um, We're going to have links in the show notes to an article in TechCrunch and then Facebook Security Advisory, a buffer overflow vulnerability in WhatsApp VOIP stack allowed remote code execution, is anyone still awake out there, via specially crafted series of SRTCP packets sent to a target phone number. Explain what a buffer overflow vulnerability is, because this is something we see a lot. One way that you could explain a buffer overflow vulnerability, you can kind of think of it as, uh, imagine that you have a glass and there uh, you want to fill it with some water. So, so you start pouring water into the glass um, and you can tell that there's only a certain amount of water that can fit in that glass. And so you you know just because that's the way we do things, we don't intentionally overflow the water when we're pouring water into a glass. Um, 
Well, there are certain types of um, computer attacks uh, uh, called buffer overflows where um, by means of of sort of uh, an exploit, kind of uh, thinking differently about how to approach a certain situation, you can force extra water to be, to, to be put into the glass. So it now overflows. You can kind of think of it that way. So it's doing something that obviously the glass is not intended to hold more water than that. And it can't. And so then now you have a problem. <laughs> now you've got water spilled all over the place. And so buffer overflows, you can kind of think of it visually in that, in that sense that it's doing something that goes beyond the intent of, uh, of what a particular process or, or, um, a portion of memory really uh, is is supposed to be able to handle. Okay, so then it talks about remote code execution. I think I can figure that one out. It's just basically you're sending code to a device and it's actually able to run when it shouldn't. Is that it? Yeah, exactly. Remote code execution basically means that someone else can do something to your machine without sitting down at your machine. So they can they can run code on your device, run an app essentially, um, and uh, and do things without having to to have you interact with it first. Okay, and so the end of this talks about a specially crafted series of SRTCP packets sent to a target phone number. So I've looked that up. That's Secure Real-Time Transport Protocol. So basically, this is kind of like we use TCP IP for networking, which is Transport Control Protocol. Um, This is a secure version of that. So what this whole thing means is that people figure out a way to create certain packets of data that can break through the buffer and run code. Is it that simple? That's pretty much what it is. Yeah, that's what's going on here. Okay, but it's a lot of work to figure out how to do this and to find the way to get that code that's going to work when the buffer overflows. Is that what we could say? Yeah, so so when we say... You can explain it in a sentence, as Facebook has in their advisory. Well, it's actually a really complicated process to actually find vulnerabilities like this. This is something that takes a lot of skill. Um, you have to um, to have a lot of really in depth knowledge about you know secure programming practices. Um, you need to know a lot about reverse engineering. You need to know a lot about the uh, the operating systems that this app runs on. Um, so there's a lot of knowledge that you really need to have to develop these kind of vulnerability um, to to find these kind of vulnerabilities, and then to figure out how to make them work to do something afterwards. And then especially, yeah, to figure out how to exploit those vulnerabilities. Okay. Um, So the TechCrunch article that we're linking to says, you probably weren't a target of the WhatsApp surveillance hack. It says, unless you're a nuclear scientist or government spy, you're probably not of any interest. So what's interesting is that this did get on the news, and this was a big story, and everyone was warned about this. But this was likely only a small number of people who were targeted. This said, discounting this and not assuming that this hack will get into the hands of other people who might target more individuals would be incorrect, wouldn't it? Yeah. In fact, well, that's one of the reasons why everyone is running around like a chicken with their head cut off saying, oh, update WhatsApp. You've got to update WhatsApp. Well, you should, even though you're not targeted, because a lot of times we see this... um, 
I, I would say probably with Microsoft updates more than anything else. Uh, as soon as Microsoft releases a patch for some serious vulnerability, then there are people who are reverse engineering the patch. They're trying to figure out exactly what Microsoft did to fix that vulnerability so they can figure out what the vulnerability was and find ways to exploit it uh, in cases where people haven't installed the patch yet. Okay. And so the same thing could theoretically happen here with WhatsApp. Uh, it's possible that people could figure out, now, knowing some details about this vulnerability, they could probably uh, poke around. If you're really skilled, you can probably find a way to uh, figure out how this vulnerability could be exploited. And so if someone hasn't updated WhatsApp yet, then it may still be possible for other people to use the same vulnerability against you. Okay, and so you led me into a great segue because we have another story about Microsoft issuing an urgent fix for Windows in the first XP patch since WannaCry. We're linking to an article in Forbes. Uh, WannaCry was a couple years ago. It was a ransomware. Um, Windows XP. I mean, Windows XP is really old. Uh, Microsoft has actually released a patch for Windows XP. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of amusing. Um, and the reason we bring this up, by the way, is that this is something that, uh, you know, I mean, we're we're all in an Apple ecosystem, you know. We use Macs and 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 iPhones and things, um, but you know, there's a good chance that you know somebody who uses Windows, and uh, you know, this vulnerability is really severe. It's actually quite similar in a sense to the WhatsApp vulnerability because. If you have a Windows PC that is directly exposed to the public internet, uh, then it's possible for somebody right now to use this RDP, uh, and re which stands for Remote Desktop Protocol, um, Remote Code Execution Vulnerability to hack into your PC. Um, so this is something that uh, that we as Apple community users should also be aware of so that we can make sure that our less tech-savvy relatives know about this uh, and so forth. Now, in most cases, you're going to have somewhat of a hardware firewall, meaning you've got a router or something that prevents incoming attacks you know, on the RDP port, the, uh, the way that uh, someone would be able to normally connect to your PC to remotely control it. Most of the time, that's not just open to the public internet. But it is possible for, in fact, sometimes people do this on purpose. So they will sometimes open up that port in their router to make it possible for them to connect to their home PC when they're somewhere else. And, um, and so in that case, now somebody can attack your system unless you have installed this latest update. So it's very important. It's very urgent. And there, I'm sure, are already people who are working on reverse engineering this if they haven't already figured out how to do so and start attacking people. We've got another interesting story from the register. If you don't know the register, it's a, it's a computer website in the UK, but with a touch of humor. So they talk about a titanic disaster. Bluetooth blunder sinks Google's 2FA keys. Free, free replacements offered. Um, Google has talked for a while about their Titan security keys that are used for two-factor two authentication, much more secure than getting a code. But it turns out that their Bluetooth connections could be compromised by nearby hackers. Now, before the show, we were talking about this. You're saying to me, well, someone has to be right next to you. But imagine you're on a plane uh, near someone and you're specifically targeting someone. You're, you're in a subway or a train. You're in a library. You're in a place where you're less than 30 feet away from someone, the Bluetooth range. 
Um, this is the kind of thing that could be done. And I think that these keys are used a lot by, well, Google's employees uh, on the one hand, because they've talked about how um, using these USB keys has meant that no one in Google gets hacked. But I think a lot of journalists use this. So this is the kind of thing. Imagine you're in a press room at a debate or a press conference or an event. You ever see all the journalists lined up, you know, a hundred of them in the press room. Um, this could be a very serious issue. It won't affect you or me, um, but it's serious enough that Google is replacing all these keys. Yeah, this is a Tom Cruise level attack. This is totally. Yeah, <laughs> this is not something that uh, that's necessarily easy to pull off. But if you do have a Titan key, the the takeaway here is that Google is replacing them for free. And and by the way, I think it's worth mentioning here that as soon as these were announced, you know, everyone kind of thought, oh, well, that sounds kind of cool. Oh, you can do this uh, with Bluetooth instead of having to plug in a USB device, which you can't easily do on things like an iPhone. And um, and so Google was trying to make it easy to use on any device without having to physically plug something in. But as soon as they announced it, people uh, were were kind of going, "Oh, oh, Bluetooth! That's 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 a serious serious concern." And well, now we do have an example of how that can be exploited. Okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to start talking about some Apple stuff. There were a lot of Apple security updates, and we're going to talk about zombie load. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac, or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 50%. That's PODCAST19 to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, before the break, I mentioned we were going to talk about Apple in the second part of the show. Um, Apple security updates this week. I really hate it when Apple releases all these operating system updates, which include security updates for every single device. So the Mac, uh, iOS, Apple Watch, tvOS, my HomePods. I had 11 devices to update. You made a little list in our show notes here, uh, 5172, and thirty. Five, 107, 173 vulnerabilities were updated across all of these platforms. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. 51 of those were in Mac OS. Uh, 42 were in iOS. Um, so the, these are, those are the biggest um, batches of, of fixes. So you definitely want to make sure that you install these updates as soon as practical. If you haven't already done so, then you should schedule time today to install these updates on your devices. And it may take a while, uh, depending on your internet speed, because 
Um, I noticed the iOS updates weren't very large. The Mac updates were. The HomePods were more than a gigabyte each. And I don't really know if when I'm updating my two HomePods, if it downloads the update to both of them or just to one and is able to transfer it to the other. I couldn't tell because you don't see any progress for those updates. One of the issues that we're dealing with, and I, I've mentioned this so many times in the past, I love the names that they give to these vulnerabilities. Zombie load. I mean, this sounds like it's going to be, you know, a, a, a Netflix TV series or something. Tell us about zombie load. Zombie load, to me, at first glance, looks very familiar to vulnerabilities we've talked about in the past called Spectre and Meltdown. Yeah, that's right. In fact, that's uh, exactly the type of vulnerability this is. It's It's exploiting vulnerabilities in speculative execution uh, technologies that are built into our uh, central processing units in our computers, our CPUs. Uh, This zombie load vulnerability um, is something that was uh, specifically found and tested with Intel processors. Um, So we don't know if they necessarily affect other processors at this point. The researchers really were only researching uh, the Intel processors in particular. So this is something, therefore, that affects Mac users. Uh, and at this point in time, we don't know of, uh, you know, whether it would affect other platforms such as the processor architecture that we have in our iOS devices. But essentially what, what Zombie Load is, they they describe it as um, as a meltdown-like vulnerability. It, there, there's a lot of really technical stuff, but I think that's kind of the main thing to know. And we've talked about speculative execution on a couple of episodes, so if you want to know more about what that kind of attack is, um, you know, we can have... We'll, We'll put a link in the show notes to uh, to those episodes where we've talked about speculative execution before. Okay. Now, usually Apple doesn't say very much about this sort of thing. Uh, when they release information about security updates for operating systems, they're in that sort of language that, that I cited to talk about the WhatsApp vulnerabilities, not very easy to understand. But here they've put out a couple of support pages talking about how to enable full mitigation for micro-architectural data sampling vulnerabilities. Now, Excuse me, if if it doesn't say zombie load, how am I supposed to know what this is here? <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And it, so Apple doesn't actually mention zombie load at all on their website that I've been able to find. But um, but they do in their security advisory for Mac OS, they mention the names of these researchers who wrote this white paper about zombie load. Um, so evidently, that's what, at least one of the, the things that this uh, new update fixes. Um, and interestingly, the way that Apple is fixing these things is with a firmware update. All, you know, This is not something we hear much about anymore because these firmware updates um, in recent years, uh, uh, just really in the past couple of years, Apple has started rolling these into the operating system updates. Um, it used to be that when you ran software update, you would uh, have a separate update that said it was a firmware update and you would have to download that. You'd have to restart your computer. You might have to hold down some special keys or something to get it to install. It was. It used to be a more complicated process. And Apple has tried to simplify things by just rolling these into the latest Mojave updates. And so one of the updates that is available is um, is actually a firmware update for certain specific Mac models. And this is always going to be the case whenever there's a firmware update. It's not something that by nature it can't apply to 
every Mac that's, you know, that this operating system may go out to. What's interesting is that Apple lists a a number of Mac models that can run Mojave, but uh, or, or High Sierra or Sierra, but are not supported by uh, this new firmware update to mitigate zombie load and other similar attacks. And what they say is that these are not supported due to a lack of microcode updates from Intel. And it sounds like Intel's not given them the data they need to be able to update these devices. Right. Well, so when Meltdown Inspector came out, uh, when they were kind of announced to the public at the beginning of 2018, Intel at the time, they kind of originally said that they were going to release updates for, you know, a bunch of different processor architectures. And then they later kind of changed their story and said, yeah, okay, we're not going to support quite as many as we initially thought. And um, so basically that's what this comes down to is that uh, Intel really is only releasing updates um, to mitigate Meltdown Inspector for a certain number or certain type of, of processor uh, architecture. So they are not issuing microcode updates for machines from 2010 or earlier. And that's why Apple's list is all, you know, late 2009, uh, mid to late 2010 models of Macs. Those are all the, the, the Macs that are not able to get a fir- uh, firmware update to mitigate against these speculative ex- execution vulnerabilities like zombie load. Okay, but Apple's done two things here. On, on the one hand, they say that the security updates in Mojave 10.14.5 protect against this. But then they've got another page that talks about additional things that you can do in terminal to enable full mitigation. And what they're saying is that if you do that, you'll reduce your performance by up to 40% with the most impact on intensive computing tasks that are highly multi-threaded. So this affects processors that have hyper-threading technology. And what that means is that the processor can create additional cores, like twice as many cores. My iMac has four cores, and because of hyper-threading, it can look as though it has eight cores. It's kind of some kind of trickery. And the only type of um, task that this is probably going to affect where hyper-threading comes into play is is when you're doing really processor-intensive stuff, video uh, editing and video conversion, et cetera. And we tried a, a test uh, using ScreenFlow earlier, which is a, a tool that I use to make screencasts and exporting a video, and it did use the additional hyper-threading cores. But should the average user go through all the trouble to run these terminal commands and reduce performance potentially by up to 40%? Well, it's there's definitely a trade-off here. Um, as, you, as you mentioned, this is not actually something that, although, although you may have this firmware update, it's not necessarily going to automatically fix this problem for you. It gives you, uh, in part, it gives you a way that you can... Um, choose to disable hyperthreading essentially is what what this amounts to. So um and there's a process that you have to go through. You have to reboot your computer into recovery mode. You've got to open up the terminal in recovery mode and type these NVRAM commands in order to um to actually turn off hyperthreading. Um so it's it's a sort of really complicated process frankly. Um and wouldn't it be great if there was an app for that? <laughs> well, well, yeah. Okay. So there is kind of a third party app that does something similar to this. Um, it's called CPU setter. 
Um, and there's a little checkbox in this app. Uh, it says hyperthreading, and it's got a little checkbox after it. So you can uncheck hyperthreading in CPU setter, and it will uh, actually turn off hyperthreading via software. And and this this is maybe not as complete of a fix, but it I guess it could work in a pinch. Now have uh, you know I should say we haven't actually tested this ourselves to make sure that this fully mitigates all of the uh, speculative execution vulnerabilities. We don't know that for sure. Um, the developer says. Um, that this uh, can be used in that in that way to um, uh, to prevent some of these meltdown inspector like vulnerabilities. That's one way that you can do it without having to reboot your machine. Now it does require you to download third party software, and hopefully that you know developer will continue to keep that software up to date so it'll work with the latest versions of Mac OS. Apple points out that there are no known exploits affecting customers at the time of this writing. So do we really need to worry? Well, that's the thing. There's always this balance, isn't there, between paranoia and safety? (laughs) Right. So if you have reason to to believe that you may be a target of a nation-state-level actor, you know, a Tom Cruise-type attacker, then, yeah, you should definitely disable hyper-threading right now. Uh, however, if you are targeted by somebody with those that level of resources, um, they're probably going to find some other way to exploit your system. Um, but still, you should use as many mitigations as you can. Uh, I, I guess the takeaway is um, you probably don't necessarily need to you know reboot into recovery mode and run these commands, but if you don't think you probably really need hyperthreading, or if you don't mind a little performance impact or potentially kind of significant performance impact for certain tasks like video encoding, um, then yeah, it doesn't hurt to go a- and install uh, this this patch and and run those commands. Okay, this has been a pretty busy week. This is a lot to digest. Maybe listeners should listen to this episode twice to try and understand everything. We'll have lots of links in the show notes to provide more resources about all these issues. Uh, Until next week, Josh, stay extra secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.